going once around the intersection of art, business, and technology. I work at General Motors as an investment manager for their venture capital arm, and I am working on my first deal. I can't tell you any details yet because we aren't through it, but I'm super excited. Um, so with that, I look at lots of new technologies that we can put on to our cars and try to find the right business partners within GM and then also work on my network outside of the company. I operate Corktown Studios. Uh, so we have studio space for rent, we have musicians that practice here, and then we also do gallery events, music events, and try to get our resident artists' artwork out into the city. That keeps me pretty busy. I'm an artist as a part of that. Uh, I'm a saxophone player in Botanical Fortress. I am the chair of the board for Green Living Science, getting my MBA <laughs> online. Um, I do a lot with DC3, so um, one of the big volunteer initiatives that I'm hoping to work on right now is to link up the tech startups in Michigan with design startups to help really move the whole startup economy of Michigan forward and help all of the companies here to be able to compete with a lot of the companies that are coming from the coasts where you do see really refined presentations and things like that. I think we have all of the skill sets here that are necessary, but just trying to bridge those gaps a bit more. Corktown Studios started because we needed a new space. We, I originally had a space with Jake and then Lisa and Jay here as well. And we were over at the Russell and it started to get a little bit shadier in the building we were in. So we decided that we wanted to find a new building and had kind of talked to our network around town and was put in contact with Jerry, our landlord, through the people that started the hostel. And walked through a couple of his buildings None of them were so sm small that just the four of us could be there. So when we walked through the building where we're at right now, um, we realized like, oh, it's a little bit bigger, but it's not like superly expensive. So we can probably figure this out, bring on a couple more artists. And after we moved in, had, you know, walls up. And I think we had one of our artists, Lisa, who I had moved here with, um, well, we had moved studios with, had commented that she always had wanted to try curating for a gallery shows. So we thought, all right, let's try it. And I think it was the second or third show we had Chris Gideon in, and the place was packed, just absolutely packed. And it helped us to realize that there's de demand, like there are lots of galleries in the city, but that there was still demand to see different work. And so with that, we, you know, like, all right, I guess we'll do some regular shows. And um, after another show, I asked that artist, like, what can we do better? We had a Facebook page. She said, you should get a website. So we got a website, started doing email blasts to let people know what was going on. And it's been really organic in terms of how it's come to be. So originally we were just supposed to be studio space and artists making art and um, kind of through different people's interests, we, we had the opportunity to branch out. So I grew up in Brighton, Michigan. Um, I grew up on 10 acres kind of outside of town. So a lot of my childhood was spent either by myself or playing with my older sister 
outside. We had a big forest and were encouraged to go outside and explore. And we had access to a lot of art supplies and things like that. Um, so growing up, we were always encouraged to be very creative and hands-on and not be in the house making a mess. We had a pond in our backyard and my dad had a set of waders that he would use to kind of clean it out. And he is 6'6". Six, six. At that mm -hmm. time, I was probably four and a half feet tall, five feet tall. And I would take his waders, put them on, walk down to the pond, and then go fish out whatever I could find. So we'd get frog eggs, and we had these weird little fairy shrimp things that are actually an endangered species. And um, I would go down there and just find whatever I could, and then bring it up back um, on our porch. We had a terrarium where I would keep all the creatures I found. <laughs> Not all of them, there are a lot of creatures there. So my dad had a lot of woodworking tools and he works as a sound engineer. He does designs for uh, concert halls and things like that. So he always had access to equipment for listening to music. That was a very big part of growing up. Um, and access to building things. So I would steal hammers and nails and use a really nice piece of wood to make a birdhouse and surprise him when he got home. Wow. And um, my mom was an avid sewer, and so growing up I also, we had sewing lessons and um, learned to start making little outfits for my dolls and things like that at a young age. And we didn't have, I had, you know, some Barbies and stuff, but if there was ever a request, like I had asked for a microscope one Christmas, which was a bit outside of the scope of Christmas gift expense levels, but my parents figured it out because they were very good at encouraging all of us to pursue that, those types of endeavors. I had to work very hard in school, so I took a lot of advanced classes and stuff, but it was never easy. Um, it, the way that I process information is definitely informed by my creativity, and um, it leads to just a different way to think through problem solving. A lot. So when I went to engineering school, a lot of engineering school is learning equations. You can learn the tools that you have to solve a problem. And growing up, when we're out, you know, out in our backyard trying to build a fort, it's like you have sticks and grass. Figure it out. Um, and so I think that creativity in making things growing up kind of lent, lent my ability to just say, right, what is available, and what can I make with it. I get a crazy big idea. <laughs> And then um, it's, it is pretty, it's, well, after I get the big idea, it's pretty methodical. So for like our art installations that I've done with my boyfriend, Jake, we'll go to the bar and just like throw out ideas and either it's too small or we don't have access to the right type of material. Um, when we came up with the bike piece for de-electricity, we had just come off of doing art installations at Movement. And with that, we had done I'll choose your own mustache picture opportunity. And so I was like, well, how can we use that idea? What if we just cut cars in half and put mustaches in the window and people could walk by and take a picture? But the ability to get whole cars cut in half was somewhat limiting. So we were like, all right, what about bicycles? Or no, we talked about cars maybe not getting a bunch and cutting them in half. How about we explode one? We're like, we don't have the space to explode a car. So then we changed to the exploding bike idea. So there's a lot of working through, even in that, what are the constraints that you have and what do you have access to? 
And then um, once we figured out what we wanted to build, it came down to Jake knows how to weld, so he was welding the frames, and I was put on bike acquisition duty. Craigslist has been very useful for us. <laughs> and um, worked on cleaning them all up so they all look like the same bike. And then we had a lot of fun uh, compressing the ones that are all crunched up and exploding them. I was in school, I was on the basketball team and the track team and stuff like that, and I and I just never really clicked. My mom would always encourage me to go hang out with these people that I had known most of my childhood life, and I would go and it would be fun, but it never really clicked. And um, my senior year, I actually quit the basketball team, which was a big, big deal when you're 17 years old, and um, started <laughs> hanging out with a bunch of musicians. And realized that I fit in a lot more with that group, but I was like in all of the AP classes. <laughs> and um, so it, it, that's when I started to realize that like I could click with people. Um, and it's, it's really been a bit, when I was at college, most of my friends were art students and musicians, not engineers. And it's been more recently that I've been finding people <laughs> that kind of span both worlds. My mother, Bless her heart, wanted me to go to art school. I had to pay for college, so I was like, I'm, how the hell am I going to, I'm not going to art school. How am I going to make money to pay for this? Um, and that's why I decided to go to engineering school. And even, she wanted me to go to art school. My dad worked with musicians, so I had grown up like going to concerts and stuff. So musicians, they were like, oh, their music's not that good. <laughs> like, I remember when I saw Pink Floyd play Animals Live, and it's like, well, I can't Sorry. <laughs> so it was weird because my parents were probably more supportive of not, you know, being a bad kid. Like, I was an extremely good kid. <laughs> not being a bad kid, but checking out that kind of stuff. It didn't offend them because um, that was really, that was the world that my dad existed in for a long time. I went to U of M in Ann Arbor and for the, they take all the incoming freshmen for three days. You have to go with like an on site orientation. And so I went and um, partied with my friends at night. I would wake up and go. We All the engineers got shipped off to North Campus to go you know, learn about the classes and what life would be like as an engineering student. And I remember sitting through one of the discussions and the guy talking to us, some professor, was explaining how engineers were awesome and that when we graduated we would be driving around our BMWs speeding past all of the other students that would be sitting around eating their nuts and berries. And in my mind I was like, what's wrong with nuts and berries? Like, I don't need a BMW. <laughs> and so the first probably five months at U of M I was like, all right, and not engineering school. What am I going to do instead? Um, and I started taking architecture studios. And that was awesome. And I almost transferred over into the School of Architecture, but then I got a really big engineering scholarship. And I was like, okay, just kidding, I'll stay. <laughs> uh, that's kind of the time when I really started to be able to use all of my technical background and bring it to bear in the design creativity though. And that, so that was pretty cool because I figured, all right, I'll stay in engineering and learn more about structures so then in the future I can work with architects or become an architect that actually understands how to make this stuff stand up. 
because that a lot of times we'd be working on building models and things and you can draw something but just because you can draw it doesn't mean you can build it and uh, a lot of I was able to do a lot of fun stuff understanding physics <laughs> and uh, make some pretty cool models at that point but starting that's when I really started to realize that I liked working at that intersection where you understand all of the background of how and why it works but also bring to bear an understanding of the design process and creativity and not just totally doing away with the essence of an idea because you can't get it to stand up. How can you figure out a way to mediate? You've got a lot of people that can be very technical and a lot of designers that can be great designers but people that can translate in between that's not very common. Um, I stuck with engineering school and then I studied abroad in Germany and when I was there I was like my goodness people actually use you know solar panels and transit and came back for my senior year ready to work on energy so originally I had wanted to go into concert hall design so working in architecture and acoustics and then did an about face and decided I wanted to work in energy and graduated conveniently in 2008 as the economy was just in a free fall. And I had an interview at GE to work on wind turbines. And the flight that I had got canceled. And then the one that I could get to get there, they were like, oh, we'll already be done with everything. So I was like, shit. You can <laughs> crap. <laughs> um, and I, so I went back to and was talking with a professor just slumped into her office and asked her what do I do I thought I had my dream job on the line and now I've got nothing um, and she was working with GM actually on the Chevy Bolt and so on that project she was like well I have some internships would you like that which isn't always ideal when you're graduating but I knew I didn't have any work experience I was like what's the Chevy Bolt and so I started as an intern and it was just an awesome experience because it people had done like electric cars before but trying to get one that's that complex where you can both use electricity or gasoline and uh, the level of attention to detail that went into the design it was so much fun and I worked in the space of charging so there were like four other people working on it not 400 and I got to get into probably a lot more detail and exposure to working with standards and suppliers and more of the business than you usually do eight months into the job. Um, and that, that was a really fun experience. I didn't know. No one told me. I was like, all right, I'm going to go into engineering school and then I'll get a job. Like, that's just how it works. Neither, like, I, my dad has an associate's degree from a community college. My mom's taken some classes, but like, we're by no means university material. So a lot of it was just, my older sister had gone to school, so I learned some of the process from her, but I actually graduated before she did, so figuring out the whole job part of it was my job. Yeah. <laughs> and um, once I actually got my internship and had talked with the director under whom I was working, she explained that they use it as a way to figure out whether or not you'd be a good fit for the company. And especially in the technical space, if you don't have work experience already by the time you graduate, a lot of companies are like, ah, too risky. And I had no idea. 
So I was, that's why I ended up taking the internship in part because I realized I had done work as a, like research work, but that doesn't always apply to industry. So I was very worried that I wouldn't be able to get a job. But yes, get work experience. <laughs> so typical work week, if I'm home, I'll usually get in, I'll either go to the run center where my desk is or to one of the engineering facilities, depending on who I need to meet with. And that'll usually be eight to five-ish. And then when I get off work, there's usually some sort of a meeting with somebody, <laughs> either coming to the studio to try to get events ready or find new events for us to network um, with other people, um, board meetings. So usually five o'clock, I go home and I let my dog out. So five o'clock, go let the dog out. And then around six, usually like six, eight or nine, there's meetings or homework. <laughs> and then I try to like take an hour. Jake and I will usually watch one episode of TV before we go to bed. So there's, there's that at the end of the day. And um, Thursday nights is band practice, so when I'm home, I go to band practice at like 8 o'clock, and I'm usually there till midnight. And that, I, so I played saxophone in high school band, and then didn't for a long time, <laughs> and played it a little bit with my older sister, who was a music student, and then recently, so last year, picked up my saxophone again, and I've been playing with botanical portraits. And that was just chilling out, and no sort of structure to the music at all. Just jamming. As much as I'm like a I like to think creatively and big picture, I'm coming back to the methodology. I am super anal about it, probably a little too ADD and um sat down and thought about it. Like what do I want to be when I grow up? And does stuff fit into it or does it not? And so that from volunteering I get tons of, hey, do you want, just your friends, do you want to volunteer for this, do you want to volunteer for that? And I said, you know what, if it's Detroit, if it's education, if it's especially like technology education or agriculture, I will volunteer. If it's not one of those things, it would be hard pressed to get me to volunteer. Um, and for stuff for the studio, we, we went through the DC3 Creative Ventures program and going in, uh, I had assumed the business will be the gallery. How do we sell more art? But through the process working with them in the business model canvas, we really came to value our artists a lot more because that's really what we are. And that has helped me open my eyes of like how we use this space. We'll get inquiries, can we have an event there? Can we rent it out for this, that, or the other thing? But the gallery itself is also a practice space. So if I'm renting it out all the time, my members can't practice their music, and that just doesn't make sense. So the ultimate goal is to support the artist, and if it doesn't do that, we'll probably say no. So one of the other things that I don't do as much as I would like, but I do enjoy, I love cooking, I love food. I love food, um, I haven't brewed in a while, but I'll brew beer sometimes, and eventually I would love to be in a position where I can farm. And, and be able to produce more food and maybe eventually have a small farm business type thing, but that's one of those ones that's more on the horizon. Still got student loans to pay I have always been drawn to sort of do-it-yourself type projects since I was little and playing in the backyard. I would find berries and I would run back to my parents and be like, can I eat it? And I'd find, you know, find all, you know, different type of plant and I'd run off and be like, can I eat it? <laughs> and my, 
parents were like, no, you, you can't eat that one, you can't eat that one. And, and this is like through probably six or seven, like this isn't a three-year-old, like I was determined that I could be like a pioneer girl. You know, I read the Laura Ingalls Wilder books, I have more hindsight on that now and what that offers for an unrealistic vision of what pioneers went through, but I had, I always had that inkling of like, I wanted to be able to make stuff myself, do stuff myself. And it started from that, and yeah, it, just looking at how food is brought to us, I think is really interesting. Um, and preservation processes, I think are interesting and being able to play with, play with that too, so. Learning, even internally learning to shut off the parts of your brain that say no, and not listening to the other people that say no. I think throughout most of my youth, I was creative but didn't quite understand that. And then going through university, I was I started to understand my creativity better, but realized okay, the economics of paying for college are a good at driving force. Um, and I think I've come into my own a bit more now, but when I first started out as an engineer at GM, living in Detroit, doing art in my spare time, a lot of people looked at me funny. Like, the idea of an engineer being an artist in and of itself was kind of weird. In 2008, living in Detroit was just like, why would you ever pick there of all places? And I'm like, I work for a company that's going bankrupt, so I want to save some money. Um, and found out that I, I loved the place and the people here, but I, for a very long time I had two lives. I had my work life, and then I had my after work life. And it felt very much like I was trying to be two different people. I was trying to be this like professional engineer that just looks like everybody else, acts like everybody else, is just like everybody else. And then in the art stuff, I was try trying to figure out what I wanted to be as an artist. Still don't think I have that one figured out. But um, now, especially I think working in ventures and business, everybody, it's all about big ideas and making it happen having a vision and then getting there. Be it a vision for a painting or a sculpture that you want to do or a new business. And so I find a lot more people that think more similarly, which is nice, but still good to get out and remember that you're not just insularly with a lot of people like yourself. I don't know if it's advice as much as a lot of the turns that I've made in my life have been driven by somebody saying, no, you, pr you probably can't do that, you can't handle it, or you won't be able to figure it out. And I'm like, screw you, watch me. And I think that that, it's not really advice, but that's been a driving force. When the decision is, you know, should I do this or should I not? If somebody's saying, I don't think you can, maybe not put this on us. So somebody's like, I don't think you can do this. And then boom, I'll get an idea in my head and, it, and I, it's probably not the best way to operate, but that it drives me. I'm like, no, I'll figure it out. Recognizing that both, you know, artists and entrepreneurs, anybody that has a big vision, we're all the same kind of people. I see a lot of divisions of visionaries. There's visionaries in all sorts of things and they're very passionate and we don't have to be divided. And I think that that's something that I hope as time goes on, people start to recognize more and more. If you are an awesome artist, you are just as valuable as an awesome entrepreneur coming up with a tech idea. And 
you both need each other. I, I see a, more and more divisions where it's like, well, we don't need art or we don't really need that tech. And it's like if we can get passionate people of all different skills working together, I think we can make a lot more awesome things happen. I'm Allison Malik, and thank you for joining me on Once Around.